0: welcome to the ibjjf podcast the official podcast of the international brazilian jiu-jitsu federation tune in to hear interviews with the top coaches and athletes in the sport as well as breakdowns and analysis of the biggest events let's dive into this week's episode We're back with another episode of the IBJJF podcast. My guest today is Victor Hugo. Victor is a two-time world champion. He's a no-gi world champion. He's a pan, gi, and no-gi champion. He's also a heavyweight GP champion, and he's going to be competing at the upcoming no-gi worlds in the ultra-heavy division, which kicks off in about a week. Victor, thanks so much for being here.
1: My pleasure. I really appreciate IBJJF for the invite and you, Danny. Uh, You know, It's really cool to see you guys opening up space for you know the guys that compete uh, at the high level they uh, us that we compete at the pro division to come out and speak a little bit about mindset and all that so really happy to be here
0: yeah i'm really excited to talk to you so i do want to talk about the no gi worlds but first we've got to talk about your gi world title this year you won ultra heavy gold it was your second straight world title and the final match was honestly one of the best matches of the entire event you fought gutenberg Pereira who's such an incredible competitor. He's got an amazing game and Gutenberg got off to a pretty good start in the match. He was up 2-0 with four advantages. He was in a knee cut with double underhooks at one point, but you were able to really impressively weather that storm. You got the sweep, the guard pass, and the mount for nine points at the very end of the match. I know that title was really meaningful for you. So can you talk about your thoughts on the title about six months, months removed from it now that you've had some time to reflect?
1: Uh, you know, it was a very dramatic way to win. You know, yeah. uh, for sure, my coaches and the people, my fans, my friends, they would like something less emotional. But <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. As you said, he had such a great start. You know, I actually he actually got those two points because he had my arm there for a second. He went for a really tight armbar, and I had to sit back because my arm was hurting and I couldn't grip for like probably two minutes. I couldn't have a grip because my you know whenever you get armbar really hard you kind of lose the sensation of your, your your hands go numb a little bit so i was kind of numb but i think what was what was important there on the match was that i never gave up and neither did the people on the outside know they kept cheering for me they keep they kept pushing they kept they, they kept they kept telling to you know like for me to go and uh, i believe it was just like uh with opportunity to put it all together my training the mindset uh, part because I was injured for a while, you know, I couldn't do the things that I like to do. I couldn't play the games that I like to do, but still I showed up to train and found a way that I could train and still get better. So all that helped me, you know, like to be strong at that moment, uh, you know, uh, endure the bad time and come back whenever I had opportunity, as you said, he had such a good start, but it's not over till you tap. So, you know, even with a minute, one minute left, you still you're still able to do it so it was just a you know a way to prove that you shouldn't give up before you try your best i try my best one minute left and now it's history you know and i think it was also so special because the same thing could have happened in a smaller tournament maybe open maybe you know even a pants but it was a world so i think uh, i get a lot of praise for the match because it was a world and I, i'm pretty sure that one's gonna stay for the books for one of the best comebacks ever so you know, really happy to have really my my name on the on the, in the history somehow, and I look forward for blast dramatic. Finals, <laughs> hopefully,
0: yeah, it was such an incredible match, and it was cool because I got to catch up with you right after the match, and you talked about how important your training was for that moment, how Shanji is always putting you under so much pressure, and you always have to endure in training. Can you talk a little bit more about that and why that was so important?
1: Yeah, I think that's a strong pillar of our team, right? Six you jitsu Shanji, You know have he uh fought his whole career probably you know plus 20 years and no one ever passed his guard but i think a big part of that is how calm he is when someone is side control because usually on his training he put himself there he put himself in worse positions than that so that helped him you know like have this strong mentality towards defense you know like not be so freaked out whenever he gets a good position you even the high, even no matter the level so I would say is a really like deep jiu-jitsu. We get really deep into our sessions, you know. The fact that someone, you know, have a card guard me like Gutenberg had for a while, a knee cut, it doesn't make it doesn't mean that's the end for me. So that's something that we work, you know, every day. Of course we work other other other, other side of Jiu Jitsu, but having the having the you know, having the confidence of always be able to come back, of survive, I think is, is something really important that not only professional athletes, but anyone, any practitioner, GG practitioner should have on their mind you no, know? survive at all costs and then you can come back. And, you know, it's something that will work, it's something that I actually got more into as it as I joined the Six Lakes team, uh, uh, former uh, Ribeiro, back six years ago, because they were so good at the positions that I wasn't and I wasn't be able to survive. So they had to actually teach me and you know, get on my mind that if I survive, I, I'm actually gonna have a chance to get back at you. If I freak out and I give up, I ta- end up tapping or something, uh, there's not come back from that. Of course, it's a training. Uh, we we always get to train again. I'm not telling anyone to like get a full armbar and not tap, but always following this uh, find the surviving positions and don't freak out when things don't go your way. So I think there's also some something that I think for life too. Uh, I am know for you know winning major tournaments but there's also losses in my career and some days you know even the IBJJF tournaments you're going to be fighting absolute you're going to be losing absolute and you still have your division so know how to prepare yourself to come back from those bad spots in life you know in jiu-jitsu is very important I think that's something that everyone should take
0: from jiu-jitsu that's an incredible mindset and i want to talk about your nogi training too because at black belt at least you've always competed gi and nogi you've had great results you had that 2019 nogi world title when did you start training nogi was it something that you started early on in your career or did you start it a little bit later
1: so just like brazil i believe even here whenever change here we never had a big habit on training nogi more than once uh once a week usually it's on friday i think that's the really common Way at any school like most of the schools maybe now I change a little bit we'll take nogi you know it would be one day of the week so i probably did that for from 2011 theo 2018 uh whenever i had uh i met lovato he was doing mma so he was doing a bunch of nogi and i went to his school and i saw that he actually was doing more nogi than Gia. i thought it was interesting so That's probably when I started to picking up no Gi more. But still, since my schedule, I was always busy with uh, Gi. Most of the time, I just train uh, Gi and no Gi once a week. So I believe since 2020 was whenever I started like actually training more no Gi and, you know, equalizing, splitting half and half whenever I don't have a Gi tournament. So I would say maybe 2019, in 2020 is whenever I actually started to, you know, train Marnogi, study Marnogi. because <clears throat> Even though we say everything is Jiu Jitsu, there are certain details and techniques, and actually, you know, the ruleset also changes. So since then I've been deep diving in Nogi. And I believe after every big competition that I have, i'm always looking forward to learn more and see how i can get better at it. you know but it's just amazing for me because even though being a black belt and being a world champion have having such a a, a major titles in the sport i still feel like a student there's so much that i can learn and improve and i believe that's what's helped me become like a real black belt like a a a real martial, martial artist and be comfortable on teaching no matter who, you know, because I'm trying to, you know, have a wide vision of jiu-jitsu.
0: That's a great point. You mentioned how the rules are a little bit different in no-gi. The game's a little bit different. Of course, the grips are different. <clears throat> what are some of the things you've been working on lately in your no-gi game that you feel have helped you a lot?
1: I think definitely the standing part, you know, in jiu-jitsu gi, the standing you can use, make your grips, and it's kind of, you know, it's not – it could be hard for someone to break your grips depending on how you use them. In no-gi, you don't have – a you, you don't have – that sensation that you can hold someone for too long with the grip so be smart the grip exchanging always be ready to switch your grip for a better one and for a better one and be ready for the next grip so don't don't stay attached too much at one grip or one angle always switching up to the next angle next grip looking up for looking for a better for a better position and eventually you know a submission a sweep so you know, I, I definitely think the pace is a little higher and the room for mistakes a little smaller since everything becomes more slippery throughout the match. Throughout the match, you know, uh, at the beginning the grips are working good, but uh, halfway to the end, it, everything is more slippery. You you tend to be sloppy. So working with that and still be precise, you know, I think the best the best guys to you know to do nogi, they're really good at being precise and not missing opportunities. So that's what I've been working on, you know, the standing part two. And yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I also look forward to show in person what I've been working what I'll be cooking back at the lab and it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a fun weekend.
0: It's pretty incredible that you've only been training Nogi seriously for a couple of years because your Nogi game, is it looks so well-developed and complete. And you won your first world title at the 2019 Nogi Worlds. You obviously submitted Cyborg in the final of the Open class. It was such a great submission, such a great victory. How did you feel about getting your first world title at the Nogi Worlds in 2019? What did that mean to you?
1: I meant a lot because at the same year, I still was a brown belt a couple of months before that. That's when I did... uh, the double the double grand slam i think uh, i uh, to this day i don't remember or i don't know who else was able to do a double grand Slam as a brown belt i won the europeans the, the pan-american the brazilian national world's double gold and still you know like as i always say um it's really easy for you to get comfortable so i just saw world's nookie as a good chance for me to have a first big major term as a as black belt and the divisions are stacked and I had a really good run. Uh, had good matches and end up the finals with a submission, so the best way possible, you know. Maybe a couple of months ago as a brown belt. So after that, become a, a, a absolute, w- w- absolute world champion uh, by submission was amazing. And it goes back to what I was talking before. I actually had to face Cyborg my division two i ended up losing a day before so i had to go back to my room you know get my mind uh, set, uh, you know like fixing the mistakes on my mind trying to think what would be, what would be a best way to come back better and work and work you know i came back better i got a submission so that's how i'm looking at these world championships too the last one i didn't have the best performance i end up losing to i believe the guy who was the best one of the day pedro but i look forward you know like one year has been since the tournament, so I look forward to show everyone my improvements and to show myself that I'm able to do it again, you know?
0: Yeah, this year's ultra-heavy division is pretty stacked, too. You got Cyborg again, you got Roosevelt Souza, Helton Jr., John Hanson, a bunch of other really talented competitors. How have you been preparing for the 2022 Nogi Worlds?
1: Uh, the preparation started, you know, like probably six months ago since I shift more my career towards Nogi. And I see the World Nogi is just a great uh, platform for me to show, you know, what I've been working on. And I'm still gonna be working more Nogi at the beginning of next year. But I, I, I'm, I'm re- I, I, I worked on getting a really well-rounded game. Um, I believe if you feel comfortable standing, passing, and uh, playing guard, you pretty much will be really hard to beat. So i think you guys could expect a little bit of that on that tournament um i'm not going to be so much you know turn division something i'm going to be trying to switch up a little bit so you guys definitely going to see a little bit of that and let's see what's gonna what's gonna do you know like i I think it's very good how nowadays we have so many big names doing the those divisions because it makes it the tournament even more exciting because you don't know who who can actually win you know like the chances of someone win of course is always a favorite but it could be up to to anyone. So that's awesome that makes this sport grow. And I love it when I say division, uh, challenging division, you know, it's good. I I love a challenge.
0: Yeah, we have to talk about your style too. You call it big man flow. You talked about being well-rounded and how important that is for you and how you're working your takedowns. You're always working your leg locks, top game, bottom game. How did you develop that style? Was there anything you did in training specifically that allowed you to play kind of loose and be able to work all those different positions?
1: Yeah, as you know, like being 6'4 and two hundred sixty five pounds, I'm never. Gonna, I, I will, but I, uh, I'm never always gonna have someone of my size to train with. And whenever training with someone smaller, if I just try to be big and use my strength and size to beat them in the round, I don't think it's the best approach. So that's just that's just one situation where I could apply how I could how how I start to develop. You know, the big flow. It's if I have someone smaller, I would have to come down to their size and play in their own like not their own game but their own pace that means the speed the the speed the movement, the gripping the techniques that we're applying so that also made me better you know like at being this smaller guy against a bigger guy and I got my size, I could use the speed just as I could use my flexibility and different techniques that the big guys are not used to face whenever face someone on their size so I think that helped me become really unpredictable when it comes to Jiu-Jitsu. Whenever you stand up to face me, you don't know. Maybe I'm gonna do takedowns, maybe I'm gonna pull guard, maybe I'm pulling guard to get a sweep and be on top, or maybe I'm doing it for a leg lock. So using the training partners and using the right techniques uh, to, you know, train and make your train better, I think it's something that you will develop your flow. And for me, the big man flow is about also being unpredictable, you know? oh, He's a big man, he probably just like to pass, he doesn't have a guard. Oh, it's probably just going to be boring standing. So, you know, kind of like break the stigma of big man. does has to do, you know, has to be this type of game. Of course, there's sometimes that you have to use your size and all that, but I believe in the training room, the more you expose yourself to situations where you have to use technique as your way out, I think that's the way to go. So that's how I started training uh, as a kid. I always, I, I knew I was going to be big at some point, but I never wanted to lose my flexibility and my speed and my and my mobility so you know i always had that in mind i was able to meet those guys uh Shangi, rafael and they always always praised me for that they they didn't judge i think it was good so it was just like it was good to have them supporting me on this journey and nowadays that's that's like how i'm uh, recognized by it, you know like by the big man that does small man things so it's pretty awesome
0: and as a, a new Academy owner and instructor, I'm sure that style is great to pass on to your students because you can show them a lot of different positions. What's it been like with your new Academy in Austin, Texas, and what made you choose Texas as the location of your Academy?
1: So, yeah, a hundred percent because, um, you know, like you don't know who's going to walk in on the door. So having be able to flow is actually something that everyone should have, you know, like. Because I think that's also one of the answers to the longevity. If you always muscle, if you always stiff, that's when injuries come in, and you know sometimes that's when you actually feel stuck. uh, I feel like doing jujitsu at some belt, you're gonna feel like you know improving as much. Maybe it's because you kind of like overseeing this part of jujitsu. So you know, I was able. uh, It's actually a blast for me to be able to share a little bit of my of my experience that I have had. And the competition training visiting schools training such high level athletes and try to try to you know help the persons walking in the best way that i can as i said my jiu-jitsu i'm always trying to have a wide vision of jiu-jitsu so i can help um it doesn't matter who older older person it's a kid it's a big guy it's a girl a girl that weighs maybe 130 pounds so having that well-rounded jiu-jitsu it also makes me confident to teach someone a different style so that's also what i look what i look for in my school you know try to make everyone well-rounded and try to make everyone having a good understanding of jiu-jitsu even if you don't like that position i think you should it's valid for you to learn in order to you know build a defensive system or eventually teach someone else that it doesn't fit you, but it should it could fit it could fit someone else that one day you can teach them. So that's kinda how like I like to plan out my my teaching and you know the program. And Texas was the choice because I moved here two years ago to train with Shangji. He opened his school. Uh whenever injured uh, whenever I was injured, it made me think about other ways, you know, I I I always wanted to compete, compete is my life to fight, but I know I'm not gonna be able to do it for professionally forever, you know, at some point I'm going to be a master. So I'm like, what's next? And also, I really like to have this, you know, to have to have a a place where I can teach my program and also uh, where I can share my experience to kids. I was just a kid, like I was a kid, like, like, like everyone was one day and I had the pleasure to meet great champions whenever I was a kid. Uh, I always was, I, I always, I was always going to seminars and all that. I remember the very first person who I have a contact with that was at a high level. Which was Leandro Law. I met him as a, I was a white belt, and he was super nice to me. I got to asking a couple of questions, and i was like, "Oh man, that guy is actually real!" Yeah, I got to see him. I got to you know go to his seminar. So that was pretty awesome. Whenever I met him, it kind of fired up on me a little bit the desire to be a professional one day. And just having like I met Paulo Miao as a white belt, you know I met another like a, a great number of champions during seminars. And they had such a big influence on me on how to like train, on seeing that there's a future on becoming a professional from uh, Jiu Jitsu, a uh, Jiu Jitsu professional player. So I think having, having that location for me now and making it more accessible for people who are looking for it one day is very important. You know, like I have a couple kids there, even if they don't wanna become a Jiu Jitsu pro, you know, find a way, That jujitsu, which uh, will not change, but will impact their life in a positive way. I think it's amazing because my self confidence, you know, my discipline, everything got better after I started jujitsu. And for me, it's just about like sharing, you know, like sharing and trying to make you a positive positive impact on your life, just like you just made on mine. So that's one of my main missions with my school.
0: That's amazing that you had those experiences as a kid, getting to meet those world-class competitors. And kids' jiu-jitsu has really been blowing up as of late. There's so many kids training and competing now, and they're at such a high level. It's it's really incredible. It's going to be amazing to see where the sport's at in 10 years. Can you talk a little bit about the growth of kids' jiu-jitsu and how you've seen the level grow over the years?
1: Yeah, as I believe I have said it before, but one of my favorite tournaments, two of my favorite tournaments to watch and to be there to, as a spectator is actually the World Masters and the Pan Kids. Because, you know, like the, the World Masters is just fun for me because the, the master community is so important with Jiu-Jitsu, you know, they're such big supporters. And the World Masters is just interesting how serious they take the tournament, you know, like a lot of the guys, they have full-time job, they're running, uh, you know, m- million dollar companies, but they still find time to find, to become an athlete and train hard and have actually competitive division. Throughout the years, the World Masters, it only gets harder because the guys to fight a professional level they become masters so the vision get harder and the pink kids for me is just like the how 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 much uh techniques and how mature the kids are becoming such a young age you know like i i remember this year ibgf posted a couple of videos of the pink kids and i had to actually replay it a couple of times because i couldn't see what the kids were doing so having the access to such a uh, high competitive level and at such a young age i think is really 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 cool you know and how those kids are getting better fast and a lot of those kids has a really good have a really good um, mentorship all, they all uh, a lot of the a lot of the programs already see them as a professional one day so i think that's just great for the sport you know like it doesn't take much I believe Mika Galvon is a great example. I, I could be wrong, but the last time that I saw him he was probably fighting Worlds as juvenile blue belt and after that he became a Black belt world champion. So I think the gap is getting shorter and shorter on how fast you're gonna be good at jiu-jitsu and how fast can you can become a pro player. So that, I think that also comes down to how fast the kids are learning jiu-jitsu and how fast they're getting good. So seeing the pink kids is always good. Because just like I said, it's very competitive, you, you don't know who's going to win. You know, a couple of kids are like, has a little more hype, they're, they they have like big social media, but still they're going to have such a big, uh, different challenge. And it's very exciting because this is the beginning, you know, like people and myself, we want to see them compete in five years as a, per, as a purple belt, brown belt or black belt. So it's a very exciting, you know, environment. And I think it just has to add up to the sport, you know. I, I never had the opportunity to compete at a big tournament as a kid, even though I wanted to. But nowadays, the opportunities are there. The pink kids is one. And it's one of my favorite tournaments. You know, the energy, how much effort, and, like, how much uh, energized the kids look during the during, during the matches and before the matches is amazing. And, yeah, it's a great opportunity. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. Let's go. Cool.
0: Yeah, such a great tournament, and the future is so bright for jiu-jitsu with all these kids at such a high level. So, Victor, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. We can't wait to watch you at the Nogi Worlds and the Ultra Heavy Division and hopefully the Open Class as well. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up the podcast?
1: No, just just thankful for the opportunity, you know, uh, and looking forward for one more world title, you know, actually, too. So definitely it will be at the Absolute, and let's see how it goes. I'm bringing some Big Miflo again to the Worlds Nogi. Let's go.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Victor. Thanks everyone for watching. You can watch the No Gi World starting on Thursday, December 8th. They run through the 11th and you can catch all the action on Flow Grappling. We'll see you guys soon for another episode. Thank you for listening to the IBJJF podcast. Be sure to head over to IBJJF.com for the latest news and events from the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. We hope you enjoyed the show.